What a wonderful reminder. Christ in me, the hope of glory, the Bible tells us. I can say, all is mine. Ah, I love singing that line. Thank you so much, worship crew, for leading us. My name's Thomas. I'm one of your pastors here at Parkview. And it's uh, our joy to be continuing through this series on whole disciples. What does it mean for us to be whole disciples and make whole disciples of Jesus? And so we're working through now 1 Peter 4. If you want to get out your Bible, wonderful thing to have with you every time we come to church. Uh, get your Bible out. Go to 1 Peter 4. And we are going to be focusing on prayer today. Prayer. Uh, apocalyptic fiction, I don't know if you've noticed, has become incredibly popular. It's been popular for quite a while, actually. I was sort of looking at this stuff. Um, it always seems like in just about every movie, just about every book that you read, the world is about to end. <laughs> um, I don't know why we're obsessed with uh, depicting the end of our species and the end of the world in all different kinds of media, but it's not hard to think of a few titles just off the top of your head. Think of The Walking Dead, Zombies Are Taking Over the World. Uh, that movie, 2012, where you know the world was supposed to be ending, I don't know if you remember, it's supposed to have happened many times by now, but uh, giant waves of water taking out, even teen fiction like The Hunger Games, you know, this just this awkward, horrible, dystopian future. Even little kid movies like WALL-E, the earth is destroyed, there's just these robots left. Um, but there's always this moment, and I always sort of like this. This is my favorite part of the movies like that, besides the fact that they're usually just incredibly entertaining. But there's this point where the hero turns to his family, the, the, the protagonist, because it can't just be a movie about the world ending. We've got to have a little individual interest. Okay, this one little family, they're going to hunker down. And the man turns to his family and says, okay, this is it. This is the end. The zombies are here. The wave of water is coming, or whatever it is. Grab the motorcycle, get in the RV, grab my whatever, you know, get the food, get the, whatever they say next, this is what we need to complete our mission of survival. Grab this, we're going to go to the hideout, we're going to go to the cabin, and this is the plan. Now, at Parkview, our mission is not just to survive the apocalypse. No, no, no. Our mission is to glorify God through the whole church, forming whole disciples of Jesus for the good of all people. We long to see more and more people looking more and more like Jesus, the Son of God. What is indispensable for our mission? If God were to turn to us <laughs> at our particular point in history, whatever we sort of think of what's happening in the world right now, to turn to us and say, this is it. This is it. Grab the... What would he say to us? First Peter 4 actually gives us an answer. What is vital? What will we need most? Forget everything else. Leave the dog, sorry. Leave, you know, leave everything else behind. Grab these few things. What is crucial? What is vital? What, what can we not do without? First Peter 4 says this. And I'm just going to read verse 7. That's going to be sort of where we meditate and kind of go, go from. It says, The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. Or in a different version, often a good place to go if you find a phrase that's a little bit confusing or you're not quite sure what it means looking in different places, we'll say, uh, above all, for the sake of prayer. For the sake of prayer. Prayer, Parkview Church, is vital. Prayer is vital to fulfilling our mission to glorify God through the whole church making whole disciples, well-formed, well-rounded, uh, coming to completion eventually for the good of all people. And I want to explore three reasons why. Three reasons why prayer is vital to fulfilling our mission to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus. Plus a little bonus one at the end where we're going to actually sort of respond in prayer 
Um, so first, let's pray. Seems like a good place to start, doesn't it? Let's pray. Join me. Lord, your law is perfect. Your word is perfect. It can revive our souls when they are weary. Your word is sure. It is sure. It makes us wise. Your instruction is right. It rejoices our sad and sorrowful hearts. Your word is pure. It can give light to our darkened eyes. Knowing you, enjoying you, obeying you is the most profitable thing we can do today. Help us to believe that to be true. Help us to wholeheartedly listen now and obey you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight as you make your word work powerfully among us today. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Now, like I said, three reasons why prayer is vital to fulfilling our mission. The first one is simply this, because prayer helps make us whole disciples. Prayer helps make us whole disciples. That is, God's plan for all of human history and everything is to see more and more people loving and obeying Jesus, his son, is prayer is vital. It's one of the fundamental things that God has given us where God actually forms us to become the people that he intends for us to be, that he created us to be in the beginning. Prayer makes us whole disciples. Now, Jesus, of course, is our ultimate model for prayer. Anytime we want to see what holiness would look like in human flesh, the ultimate example is Jesus. And when we read the Bible, read, we read the New Testament, what do we see Jesus doing? Praying. Jesus seems to be constantly in prayer. Jesus prays in different times and doing different things. Jesus prays for extended periods of time. We read, especially in the Gospel of Luke, stories of Jesus going and praying in the early morning to be alone with his Father. We see Jesus praying in short little bursts when he, he has needs, specific needs. Jesus prays when he's in agony. He prays when he's in joy. Jesus prays uh, in big moments where it seems, of course, we must pray. He prays in little moments where many of us would maybe not think to pray. Even now, actually, the Bible tells us that, you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying. <laughs> Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, enjoying his Father, loving him, and asking, as he looks out on the universe, as he looks out, by the way, at us, He's receiving our worship, and he's actually praying for you right now that we would learn the Bible. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is just constantly praying. And that's simply because prayer, uh, we may think of all the, all the things that we do when we pray. We ask for things. That's probably the thing we maybe most commonly think of that we do in prayer. We say, God, I need this or that. But one, a more simple way to describe prayer would be it's communion with God. It's fellowship with God. It's knowing him. It's enjoying him. Prayer is meeting with God, speaking with him, giving God our full, complete, and undivided attention to come to him, to enjoy him, because you know that ultimately he is the one who knows you best, who knows what you need best, and can actually do something about it. We, we can do a lot of things, but as I said, the most important thing about this is that we are with the teacher. We have a, a private time to be with the one who made us. In prayer, we, the creation, the creature, come back to the one who created us, the one who invented our souls, who can actually do something about them when they break down. Uh, in prayer, we come to the one who can 
actually help us? And, and what does the teacher do when we meet with him in prayer? How does prayer actually, how does it actually work? What are we actually talking about here? What actually happens? Why does prayer, how does it actually make me become more like Jesus? Well, prayer, we often think of learning, when we think of learning Jesus, who he is, and becoming more like him, we can think of it in sort of three different categories. We think of head learning, heart learning, and hands learning. We think of how, if we're going to actually learn, it's the same way in, a, in school or something else, um, we need to know some facts, right? We need to know truth about who God is in our head, intellectual beliefs. Um, that's when we read the Bible, we, we learn true things about who God is. We can trust it and learn. Uh, we also need you know, hands. If, if we've taken those facts to be true, then they have to actually work itself out in obedience. God says, live this way, not that way. And actually learning means obeying and following through on what he says. We, our hands need to learn Jesus. But in between, there's this sticky little business of our hearts. Now, we've tried to do all we can to sort of give you opportunities, especially for in every way to learn Jesus. For head learning, uh, I'm going to mention a little bit later, but on the 23rd uh, of January, we're going to be starting a training hour out in the atrium at 9 o'clock, and we definitely, you know, invite you to, to come at least for a time. Um, we're going through a series called Culture Clash, and we want to deal with these big issues that are going on in your society, in our society, that you just have kind of have no choice but to deal with. We want to give you some tools for how to deal with that. We want you to, and we're there to train your heads. We're there to give you facts about who God is and how to live in the world and that kind of thing. And for hands learning, how do our hands actually learn to obey? We, I think of community groups. Think of, there's one of my community groups members right there, Ashley. And we get together weekly and we talk about how the truths that we learn, especially on Sunday mornings, should work themselves out in beliefs. We need to learn our, our hands. But the hardest part of learning, the hardest part is not learning facts about God. The hardest part is not using our hands to do things for God. We can know so much. Don't you know plenty of people who, knows, who know their Bible so well, and yet it seems to have produced almost no change in their hearts and in the way that they live their lives? And don't you, at the same time, know some people who seem to, this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees, isn't it? He said, you know a lot of, you know your Bible so well, don't you? And you seem to be doing, you tithe cumin, mint, and dill, you, you seem to be so concerned with following all the rules and yet your hearts are far from me. The hardest part of discipleship, the hardest part of actually becoming a whole discipleship, a, a whole disciple of Jesus, is getting the facts that we know in our heads about who God is to actually make the 18-inch drop from our heads into our hearts. Prayer is where God actually does that. Prayer is where God takes the facts that we know to be true and actually makes them do the seemingly impossible. You know, it takes a lot of work and planning and execution to get up to the top of Mount Everest. A lot of people die doing it. It takes weeks and months, acclimation and planning and equipment and just the internal motivation to do it. But it's nothing compared to making the 18-inch descent from your head down into your hearts. It's nearly impossible. If you have lived any amount of time in life with Jesus, you have learned. I... I aspire one day to believe in my heart and actually do with my hands even 5% of what I say and what the Bible tells me about who God is. Can, can you believe the kinds of things that the Bible teaches us about his world? That we are fallen people who God has somehow not rejected and thrown us on the trash heap of the universe but has rescued us out of, from Satan's sin and death and he is now undergoing this cosmic rescue plan to make the world look like he one day wants it to be and he is bringing that plan to completion through his son Jesus and through his church. We're not plan B. 
We are plan A for what God is doing in the entire universe. He's bringing it to completion. Oh, if I lived for 10 seconds in the full reality of that, the world would just catch fire. Don't you sense it? Prayer is where God actually takes those kinds of things, this whole book, and sets it on fire in our hearts. And God bless all of our efforts to get those truths in our head because it's important. We need to worship God as he is and as he defines himself in his word. We can't say we know him and then say untrue things about him and approach him as if he's the God he's not. God bless all our efforts to to get truths in our heads and to get them out in our hands, to actually follow through on them. But in between, prayer is where God actually does that work, where I read. If you were with us in the Bible reading plan this week, Genesis 1 through 5 and, and part of Acts, and truth after truth encountered me realizing I have fallen short of what this passage calls me to be. And you know what I did? I said, God, help me. I said, God, help me become what this passage is calling me to be. What was I doing? God was taking the truths that I saw in his word and actually making them take the 18-inch drop to make me a more whole follower of Jesus. Prayer makes us whole disciples. Prayer makes us whole disciples. But not only that, Prayer is vital to our mission to, make whole, to, to be a whole church making whole disciples because, and this might seem just a little bit too cute, but prepare yourselves, because prayer helps us make whole disciples. Not only does prayer do in us the thing where we actually become what we say we ought to be and what we learn we ought to be, but it actually helps us do that process in reverse where we, we begin to do the fundamental move of love in the Christian life. Again, what do we see Jesus doing in his life? not just sort of sitting around doing sort of a monk lifestyle where he sort of learns lots of spiritual truths and becomes sort of this weird spiritual bodybuilder where he's just gigantic in his brain but sort of has little chicken legs of obedience and heart love. No. What does he do? He actually goes out and helps others learn. Um, It's vital not because, just because it helps make us whole disciples, but because uh, this is one of God's vital tools, one of the most fundamental tools for us to go and help others learn Christ as well. As we learn Jesus, we will inevitably go and help others learn Jesus. Uh, My brother, Pastor Wade, not actual brother, but brother in Christ, often likes to say just that. Making disciples is not for the sort of bodybuilder, hulking, professional Christians, you know. Uh, It's for everyone. Everyone gets to get in on this. It's part of what it means to be a whole disciple is to turn around and help others do the same. What was that, what would that actually look like? Like it sounds so nebulous, doesn't it? Make disciples. Make disciples. Probably have different ideas about what it looks like. It might look like just this week encouraging one of your fellow church members. Maybe you stick around after the service and you t- just catch up with people. We would, we would love nothing more as we go to having two services, 9 and 1030, than to have to kick people out so that the next service can start. I would love nothing more than if this room was still half full 45 minutes from now. Um, because people are just enjoying one another, speaking God's word to one another, saying, what did you learn from that sermon? What was impactful to you? What was the Lord teaching you through his word today? It could look like inviting uh, an unbeliever to, we've, we've set up a bunch of events for the spring because we've realized we need to do more to help you make disciples in your own life. And so we've, we've set up, there's a men's hockey event coming on. There's, we're gonna have some stuff around Easter so that if you're inviting unbelieving friends, Um, to come and have an evangelistic course that's sort of low stakes, come and join us, bring them with you. Um, It might look like inviting them to something like that. That's making disciples. It might look as simple as, as simple as, 
in your community group or in some other setting this very week, listening to a friend and just encouraging them with the word of God. Send them a text. Say, hey, I was reading, I was reading in Genesis 7 this week, and it reminded me of you. It made me think, I just wanted to encourage you, friend, with this truth from the Bible. Making disciples does not always look like we might think it does. It can look really small, it can look really big, but the Lord is with us in it, and prayer is vital to it. Because all those steps, all those little things that I just mentioned is whenever we open our mouths and say truths about God to others, wonderful, but it can be, just like in our lives, necessary, but not sufficient, because there's more. Uh, we've had a lot of, lot of cold, cold days. Today felt, I don't know about you, downright balmy to me. Yesterday I was like, should we go outside? <laughs> should we go outside? It's kind of nice. Uh, it's not really, of course, but... Um, if you're anything like me, when that comes, it, it's, it's fireplace season. And I just get excited. I've, you know, since the derecho, we basically have nonstop firewood for just ages in our backyard. Uh, we're never going to run out, I'm sure. Um, and it's nice and dry and great. I go and I get the fireplace ready and I stick a few logs in there, get some tinder. I've got those sticks that are really, it's probably cheating. Some of you will say I'm cheating there. And I, that are like soaked in sap or something. I don't know what they do, but they catch fire instantly. And um, so I build that whole thing. You stick some newspaper in there. And then, having done nothing else, you just gather around it, right? And then you just stick your hands and you go, isn't this wonderful? No, it's not wonderful yet. It's just a pile of wood. It's just a pile of wood. What's the next step? You've got to take out your matches and light it. You've got to take out your lighter and light it. Uh, all those spiritual truths, whether we're stacking them up in our own lives, praise God that we do that, or we're stacking them up in the lives of others that we're hoping to impact for Jesus, wonderful, necessary, absolutely vital, but not quite sufficient. We need to pray those things into life. We need to do all we can to build that fire up, to speak those words, to speak true words about God, and then we need to pray like crazy that God will send his fire from heaven and actually turn them into the spiritual warmth that only he can produce. Whether it's in your own life and you're asking God to, you've built up this nice, you, you get reading the Bible in the morning and you finally, you, God comes and he sets fire to it, doesn't he? And then he actually begins to warm you, spiritually warm you, to spiritually nourish you because he has come and set fire to the truth that you've stacked up for him to combust and he does it. The good news is, of course, we're not alone in making disciples. God loves making disciples. It's what he's all about. We're not just sort of going out doing this quest apart from his will. It's what he's all about. And he loves when we speak God's word into the lives of others. And he loves nothing more than after we have built up that, sp spoken his word into the lives of others, done our part, he loves when we pray that he would send fire from heaven to do his part to do what only he can do, which is making those truths real in the lives of our unbelieving and believing friends, neighbors, fellow church members. One of the great innovations in military history uh, toward the start of the, first uh, of the 20th century was the invention of the radio. Probably don't think of the radio sort of in that context, but before that, think about it. Um, hey, here comes the artillery. What should we do? Well, I guess send a guy with a horse 20 miles back to, the <laughs> back to tell our commander what's going on. Or later it was literally send a pigeon. Send a pigeon. That's how uh, passenger pigeons died out, they, because we used them all up in, in ways like that. Um, 
how, how are, and then eventually, you know, we had the Air Force. We had planes and stuff like that. How are they going to know where to go and what to do? You never even realized what an impact this had on warfare. Now your troops could give you instant, up to the moment, they're coming over the hill <laughs> right now. Please do something about it. This is where they are. We need air support. It was absolutely revolutionary. Well, Jesus is our heavenly commander in a cosmic battle that is going on right now in this room and all around us every moment of, of every day. And prayer is our wartime radio where we can communicate with him on a moment-by-moment -moment basis to ask him for the things that only he can do. We need you to send your spirit into our friend so that he can understand the words that I have just spoken to him. Lord, help me because I don't know what to say in this moment. Can you imagine an army that decided, let's just not use our radios. Let's, do, let's go a day without radios today. Bad idea. <laughs> Recipe for disaster. We need to connect with God. It is vital. Can you see? It is vital for us to connect with God in prayer because that will be our connection to power from on high to actually make disciples as we become disciples. One of the most concrete, simple ways you can do something about this today is to join us tonight. Tonight in this very room at 6 p.m., we're going to be getting together as a church and praying, especially for the upcoming events of this semester as we do everything we can to do our part and to help you do your part to make disciples of Jesus through Parkview, to see more and more people look more and more like Jesus. Uh, come and pray with us. The Will and Devin and others have put together a bunch of stuff, Steve, so that we can pray together and really unite our hearts and our voices to ask God to send fire from heaven into our friends, to help us to be faithful to speak words of Christ to others. Um, men, I think specifically, come to the men's breakfast on the 13th. Uh, sign up for that, register for that, or just show up. That's not a big problem. Um, on the 13th, Thursday, in the atrium, join us. Women, keep an eye out for the next coffee event, and we're going to be just sharing about what does it look like for us to make disciples together as men and as women as well. Prayer, Parkview Church, is vital to fulfilling our mission to glorify God through the whole church, making whole disciples of Jesus. And the second reason is because it helps us make whole disciples. Third reason is because prayer takes us into the heart of God. Prayer takes us into the heart of God. Why is prayer so vital? Why is it so powerful? It's because prayer, we just have to say, it, prayer is a miracle. Prayer is a miracle. You know, I just, it, it makes me chuckle a little bit. I see, you know, every election season, it seems like it's nonstop election season. But um, I always hear about these fundraisers that people go to, and I remember looking into one and a few of these, and I realized, you don't just go to the fundraiser. You buy your way in, you know? You, it's $10,000 a plate. It's $5,000 a plate. Come. And I realized, what, what are you doing? And I know a lot of people that show up to those, what are they paying for? Yeah, they maybe want to support, but they also kind of want the ear of that person who may eventually end up in power, right? You kind of want to think, oh, I can sort of buy my way into influence. They're sort of paying their way into communion with a powerful person. Uh, as Christians, <laughs> we have the audience of the maker of heaven and earth. We have communion with the one who sits enthroned above all things, who commands every single atom in existence, who holds it together, as Hebrews 1 says, by the word of his power, with his pinky finger. Apart from him, reality would just sort of cease to exist. And I don't know about you, I didn't pay $10,000 a plate to get a meeting with him. How did I get this kind of access that people would just kill for? I didn't pay for it, but someone did. 
Jesus spent a lifetime on earth enjoying perfect communion with God. I mentioned how he's constantly in prayer with his Father, speaking with his Father, enjoying his Father, asking him for help as, he, as Jesus labored to make disciples. Jesus called God his Father. He, he called him Father, which was revolutionary for that time. No one called God their Father. You read through the Old Testament, it's not a big idea. Who invented that? It was Jesus. How could he claim such intimacy with God, high and holy? And the religious leaders of the day, they bristled at that. They said, how can you call God your father? Can you believe he calls God his father? Who can claim that kind of intimacy? He showed us what life would have looked like, could have looked like, should have looked like if our first parents, Adam and Eve, had not rejected communion with God through sin. Jesus seemed to have this immediate access to power, to intimacy. He had his father's face. He had his father's regard for him. He had his father's favor and he never seemed to question it. But then on the cross, for the first time, Jesus doesn't call God Father. You remember what he calls him? Jesus doesn't say on the cross, ah, oh, my head, my head, ah, oh, my hands, my hands, my feet, my feet. He, he cries out, my God, my God. How strange it is, if you've read through the life of Jesus, to see him call out time and time again, Father, 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 and then the rhythm is broken on the cross when he says, my God, it sounds cold and formal, almost as if he isn't sure if he hears him. Why have you forsaken me? And that's because on the cross, Jesus was suffering the disconnection, the lack of communion, the penalty of our sin. He made all of our sin, your sin, as if it were his own on the cross, and God treated him as if it were, as if Jesus were a real sinner like you and me. And he lost his father's face. He lost any sense that the Father heard him, any sense that the Father would be for him, that the Father would listen and answer his prayer. On the cross, for the first time in history, Jesus' prayer was rejected so that you can know today that if you go to him in the name of Jesus, that you will always be heard. You will always be heard. There, listen, there are so many reasons that we tend to be prayerless, aren't there? There's so many reasons. We, we don't realize the power that we have, we don't, so we don't make time for it. Or we, we try to get started. Hey, we're at the start of the year, and you think, I want to get into a habit of prayer. And you sort of, you, you go, I'm just going to do it all at once, and just kind of, I'm going to start praying for 15 minutes at a time, and it'll be great. And you're sort of like that guy in the gym who comes in, and he just bought gym clothes for the first time, and sticks like eight, you know, way too much weight on it, and just immediately collapses. There's lots of reasons, because you've got to have a plan. You've got to, right, you've got to learn. But at the heart of all of the reasons that we lack prayer is this, because we aren't fully confident and sure in our souls that if we come to him in all of our vulnerability and with our time and with everything, expecting him to do something, that he won't disappoint us or that he won't, re that he won't receive us as if we've had the kind of week that we've had. The truth is that when you approach God, he doesn't treat you according to the kind of week that you've had in obeying him, but in the kind of week that Jesus had in obeying him. And the question when we come to God in prayer, for coming to him in the name of Jesus, having trusted Jesus to take our sin and give us his righteousness, is not, does God hear my prayers today? It's, does God hear the prayers of Jesus, his perfect son? And the answer to that will always be yes. And so the answer for us will always be yes, that God has not just wiped the slate clean with us. He's taken us into his very heart. 
God is as concerned for your situation today, tomorrow, this week, as he is for his perfect son. Is God eager to answer the prayers of Jesus? You, you bet he is. And he's no less eager to answer you today. And so prayer is vital. Prayer is vital to fulfilling our mission to glorify God through the whole church, making whole disciples. He longs to form us in prayer into the people that he wants us to be. He longs to help us form others into what he has made them to be. And I hope you have seen that God has, in prayer, brought us into his very heart. He has made our concerns his concerns. He has made our reality his reality. He's shown us on the cross that he's willing to go all the way to make sure that you are sure that that is true this week. God has given us the right to call him Father through his Son. Now, if I've done my job well, I hope you're just hungry to pray right now. I hope you're just sort of like, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. We can do it right now, and that's what we're going to do. I I encourage you, I'm just going to show you, this is Jesus' pattern for how we can actually pray. How can we respond to this fact that we have been given the right, this access that people should be just dying to get. Uh, We have been given by Jesus who died to get it for us. And and let Jesus take us to the school of prayer. This is not sermon part two. I'm going to be as brief as I can. And I invite you to join me in Luke 11, where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And I'm just going to sort of go through each phrase and then give you some time to respond in your own heart. Luke 11 says this, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a word we don't use much. It it means make holy, make sacred. Often when I'm praying through this, uh, I try to think of synonyms for that. Father, holy be your name. Father, heavy be your name. Make your name of greater significance, of greater weight. Turn Turn up the gravity on your name in my life. Become the biggest and most significant thing. Take about 15 seconds to pray in your own heart, Father, hallowed be your name. The next thing Jesus tells his disciples to pray is, your kingdom come. It doesn't mean for us to just sort of repeat these phrases rotely and and mechanically, but to make them our own, to, to ask God's kingdom to come, God's kingdom not being a space or a place in time, but it is wherever God's rule is known, loved, obeyed. Praying your kingdom comes means, God, make earth look like it one day will be when you rule finally and completely over all things. Make your reality, your rule, break into our world in more and more visible, tangible ways. Take a few moments to pray for God's kingdom to come. Next, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Bread was not extravagant. Bread was not especially special. 
It was not a luxury. Bread is simply what you needed to survive. When we pray, give us our daily bread, we come to God with requests for him to give us what we need, for us to trust him to give us what we need for this day. Let's go to God to simply ask him to give us what we need. What do you need from the Lord today? Ask him for that. Next, he says, you should pray, forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Pastor Steve has led us through a time of confession, but let's do it again as we bring our hearts to the Lord. Perhaps it's a time where we are confessing our, our need to grow in prayer, our prayerlessness this week. Whatever it is, let's ask God, let's bring our souls to him for evaluation and for him to forgive us and receive us as he does his son. Let's go to him. Lastly, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation. Not that God would tempt us, but rather that God will lead us the rest of this day and the rest of this week, we'll say now, into situations and circumstances that would lead to him being honored, that would lead to us being holy. Let's pray that God would lead us in that way. Lead us not into temptation. Heavenly Father, we come to you as, as you are high and holy, lifted up, exalted over all things. You are the king we desperately need. Make your name more significant, more heavy, more wonderful to us. Make it the most beautiful thing in our horizon. Do in this world what you long to do through me, through this church, Lord, to bring more glory to your son, Jesus. Lead us, Lord, in every way, giving us what we need, giving us sheer confidence that you don't just hear us as sort of a, a pestering child, but as one who has come into your very heart for whom you are most concerned to do good for and to lead toward goodness, blessing toward your purposes for your world. Convince us at the deepest level that these things are true because of Jesus. Teach us to pray. Make us a praying people, a praying church, Lord. Do all this for the glory of King Jesus. Amen.